0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Keeping Shop. Today, I am speaking with Jay Adams, the co-founder of Brass. This is a slightly different show because Brass didn't start as a brick and mortar. Jay and her co-founder, Katie, started the company as a direct-to-consumer online brand dedicated to providing quality clothing pieces that people can easily integrate into their wardrobes. Jay is on this pod not only because she's a friend of mine and a business person that I've admired for literally years, but because she recently joined the full-time brick-and-mortar life when Brass opened its first physical retail space. Brass has always had pop-up shops, some of them long-term, but they have a permanent space now on Charles Street in Boston. And I was super excited to hear that this was happening because I knew that it meant that I could share Jay's brilliance with you all. We talk in this episode all about the start of Brass and how Jay and Katie created a space where women could really talk and support each other. Creating community online is not easy, but truly Jay and her team have it figured out. We talk about having real success with Facebook groups. We talk about engaging customers beyond your product. And we talk about the different types of customers you need within a community for a truly welcoming and helpful brand community. And I'm going to say it again, the word community. Community is so stinking important right now. (sighs) Right now, I'm recording this intro and outro in a closed 40 winks. I am here to um, pack up shipment and to (laughs) record these intros and outros away from my toddler who is currently all over me at all times because she doesn't know what's going on and I think that she's really sensing that shit is going down. Her nanny isn't coming, we don't go to the playground, and it's weird having her dad and I home all the time. We live in a 800 square foot apartment, we don't have very many spaces where we can work away from her. And it has been very challenging. I know many, many of you can relate. I cannot wait for this to be over. But this is a time of great need in terms of finding and being part of community. I feel so fortunate with this Keeping Shop community. People have been checking in, and I've been checking in with them. I'm being strategic with my money and trying to be sure that I'm spending where I should be even more so than usual. We also have the communities that we've built around our stores. Let's continue to reach out to them and to find ways to connect. People are hurting right now. We're hurting right now. But I really think that people are also super hopeful that this will all bring us closer together. I want you to know that I'm truly grateful for you all and for this Keeping Shop community. Back to Jay in today's episode. I should mention that Jay recently stepped away from the everyday running of brass and the brick and mortar to take on a more advisory role at the community. Oh my God, at the company, not the community. I've said community way too many times during this intro. <laughs> Jay shared with me that the reason behind this obviously hard decision had a lot to do with her needing to explore her core genius again after years of growing grass. And I admire this decision so much. To me, being able to step back from an established company to explore the prospect of starting something else shows such a commitment to entrepreneurship. Not only that, it shows a commitment to oneself. If you know what you're good at, what lights you up, and you're finding yourself farther and farther away from it, you owe yourself to get back to your passion, no matter how much you love your job or how good at it you are. I am really grateful to Jay for sharing all of this and the rest of her story of growing brass into the amazing company that it is today. I hope you enjoy the show. Jay, thank you so much for joining me on Keeping Shop tonight. I'm excited to hear about your story because it's slightly different than some of my other guests. You have a successful direct-to-consumer e-commerce business called Brass, but recently you also, you and your partner also opened a brick-and-mortar store. So I would love to hear a little bit about how Brass got started and then also the kind of the transition or the addition of a brick-and-mortar space to your e-commerce? Sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to
1: talk with you about this stuff. Yeah. So my business partner, Katie, and I started Brass about five and a half years ago. And um, when we first started, like you said, we were a digitally native brand, born on the internet. And we started really small. We started with five dress styles and the whole approach to brass was really around helping women simplify their wardrobe and so we had a very curated product line from the beginning mm-hmm. and we built on that as we grew. and we also kind of as we were growing and we were very bootstrappy along the way, we did do some in-person events mm-hmm. but we were all with the mind that we really enjoyed getting to know our customer and getting to know the women who are wearing brass. And feeling like one day, retail would definitely be a part of Brass's future. Mm. And so, as the brand grew online, and we started to get a little bit more established with our customer base, then we started to look for more opportunities for us to explore retail. So, actually, now we have a we have a shop on Charles Street in Beacon Hill, a six month long pop up in the Seaport of Boston which was a bit more of sort of an experimental type situation. It was only 140 Mm. square feet. So it was a very intimate experience, teeny tiny. yeah. Yeah. But that definitely showed us what it would be like to do something in person. And so now we really are having a bit more of an established retail presence. And Mm
0: -hmm. it's uh, definitely becoming part of the business. So when you first started, this is for me, like when I started my business, there was like, no, I mean, it was, it was a while ago, but like, I would never have just started an e-commerce business. Why, what were you always like going to go straight to e-commerce? Like, why did you choose e-commerce other than just like creating a product and then trying to open a brick and mortar?
1: Yeah, well, at the time, so I was working in manufacturing and sourcing and, Mm. That was actually the impetus in starting Brass. I came across our main cut and sew factory when I was, when I was doing that work, and they were just really inspiring and working a very expert factory working with some of the world's top brands. Mm. So I not only became a very jaded shopper because I knew I knew how much it cost to make something, and <laughs> then I knew how much it was selling for. Yeah. But also at the same time, seeing brands like Everlane and seeing like Bonobos. Seeing these, seeing these other direct to consumer brands popping up and really gaining a lot of traction was definitely something that was inspirational to us. And it was, that was our intention from the very beginning was to be a direct to consumer brand. We -hmm. understood the power of the connection, the direct connection and relationship to the customer. And it just really felt like that was the direction that was where we needed to be going in. And we also did feel like there were a lot of direct-to-consumer brands that were focused on women in particular. There was m M&M LaFleur, but we weren't really seeing that many other women's brands. So that's where we felt like there was a real opportunity within that space, as opposed to us just opening a boutique per se in yeah. Boston.
0: Yeah. And would you say that most of your clientele is in Boston or are they truly all over the country and the world?
1: no actually our largest city is new york city mm-hmm. and then it, and then boston and then chicago kind of mm-hmm. t- gets tied between our top 5 cities are so new york boston and then chicago dc san francisco we have customers now all across the country, mm-hmm. and there are likely to be women wearing brass in most metropolitan yeah. areas now
0: of of the u s so the the concept behind brass, and it's grown a lot since the first five styles, is that you can kind of create a capsule wardrobe, right? with like things that you can yeah. kind of mix and match in a way that like looks very put together is simple with quality product that fits well. You have a wide range of sizes, correct.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, we do. We, within some of our core styles, we carry sizes, double zero up to size 26. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the whole, the whole ethos around the brand and the, and what we're trying to the intention we're t- trying to design around is mix and match easy to just get ready, feel put together, get out the door, machine washable, wrinkle resistant, mm-hmm. not particularly seasonal, and really helping women yeah, to transition their life, whether that's from January to July or from a work day to the
0: weekend. Mm -hmm. So you, I will say like, I think that you and Katie, your partner have done such a good job creating community online, which is something that I think so many e-commerce sites struggle with. I'd like, I'd love if you could talk a little bit about creating what feels like a brick and mortar community online.
1: Yeah. I think that that's one of the things that we are most proud of with brass from, from the very beginning we were, like I said, like we were really, we were, we're always just love the energy from meeting our customers in person and first, when we started, when we first launched, it was like we were selling mostly to a lot of friends and family, mm-hmm. and then slowly it was like, oh my god, do you know this person? And Katie would be like, no, I don't know her. I'd be like, I don't know her either. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, oh my god, this is like a real stranger who's buying from us. You know, <laughs> right. she lives in California. You know, <laughs> and you're like, oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> and so, and we would be so curious to understand and know who these women were. And we would even do at the time, actually, our studio was out in Waltham and it was this tiny little space and we would be on our Instagram with like 500 followers, whatever. And we'd say, we're going to do like an open house. And Katie and I would just like sit there for two hours. And like, it was the two of us essentially, but like maybe one or two women would come by and we were like, Oh my God, this is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) And so I do think that there was always from the beginning, both she and I really loved meeting these women. And that was something actually, because after we launched our first five dress styles, we also did a Kickstarter and some of our Mm -hmm. most loyal and most engaged customers came from Kickstarter and two of the women in particular. So let me back up for a second. Shortly after we did the Kickstarter, that was like, we started to have a bit more of a fan base and we decided, Hey, let's, let's try to create an ambassador group and we'll, we'll make this Facebook group and we'll put like our 10 ambassadors in there. And we didn't really know exactly what we were doing, but we were like, Hey, let's have some women who are super engaged in that. They've Purchased a lot of brass. Let's have some women who are really engaged with the brand, just that they are in communication with us a lot, not having to do with their spend with us. And let's also like invite some women who might ha- be quote unquote influencers, and might have a little bit more of a following, and put them in this group. And that's the guild. That's our private Facebook group. Now has over two thousand members in it. Wow. But when we yeah. And when we did that, we were like, it just sort of kind of, we were like, this is really cool. This is an active space on the internet. We can be in there. We can be talking to her and sharing with these 10 women about what we're thinking about doing. And then we started to add more women to that group. Two of the women who were originally in that group actually flew to Boston to come and meet Katie and I. Wow. And Yeah, it was. They're amazing. Courtney and Alexandria, they're the best. And we were like, this is so incredible to have created something where people feel this strong of a bond. Yeah. When they came, we were like, let's have a really big party, invite our other customers. Yeah. And so we did like this big meetup at a bar. And so we were kind of, I think, not, uh, we weren't, we, to be perfectly honest with you, we didn't have a clear vision as to, where this was going to go or what this was going to become. But what Katie and I knew is that we love, like it gave us a lot of energy to connect with these women. Yeah. And it brought a lot of meaning to our lives and to their lives. And it also brought a lot more meaning to the clothing. Yeah. And so that was at the beginning of last year, we really, I would say like 2018, 2019 beginning, we really kind of doubled down on this. And we were like, this is the most this is the most energizing part of the brand. And so we really decided that we would put a lot more time and effort into that Facebook group. And I strongly encourage anybody to search Facebook and join it because it's this really special place on the internet with all these women who are really supportive of each other. And it does have to do with brass, but it's also just around all other things, you know, women who are having successes in their lives, Um, and sharing them within the group and getting a lot of support from other women who are pretty much strangers, but have common values. And so that's, that's been really, really cool.
0: That's amazing. As I was like listening to that story, like when you first talked about your Facebook group with the ambassadors and like, you know, your, your brass fans and people communicating with the company, I was kind of just like, okay, so you started this Facebook group and like, what do people talk about in a Facebook group about like around a clothing brand? But as you told the story, I was like, oh my God, it's not about the clothing brand at all. It's like about the community that this brand created. And I think people get so caught up in like, well, I'm going to start a Facebook group and it has, but it, it has to have everything to do with like something, right? Like it doesn't have to be that at all. It It's a community around something that like spreads and grows and then like kind of all comes back to the company. And hopefully like people are buying your clothes because they're loyal to you, but that loyalty is created by just the sense of like true community and this group of supportive women. I mean, I always have shied away from, Facebook groups, because I feel like they get such a bad rep in some ways, but I am kind of inspired by this Jay.
1: (laughs) I totally, I mean, trust us. We're like the last person that we need to be giving more money to is Mark Zuckerberg. Like this is not where, you know, like if we could choose, this would not be the place we would build our clubhouse. However, it is a space and place that people already are. Um, and we do hear from a lot of women, like that's the reason that they're continuing to go onto Facebook is because of the guild. Yeah, And I do think that it's, it's also, it's a platform. Right. So it's up to you to decide or a brand or company, whatever, to decide how and in what way they want to establish the values of yeah. that group and what they want it to be. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that has been one of the coolest things about, about the growth of the guild is that. We were in there, all of our team members are in there and participating, but there are a lot of women in there who we, you know, we set the tone. And we set the foundation and we said, and part of that comes from what the brand stands for and what our brand values are. But then we were like living those brand values within that space and that place. And that's what everyone sees. And then everybody, it it becomes kind of this flywheel where it's like, if you are in it and you see it and it's like, Oh, that's the culture of this group. And that's the values of this group. Like I know that if I have a really big event that I'm going to like a Mm -hmm. presentation or something like that. And I'm super proud of this accomplishment that I have. And I know that if I wear my brass, that I can take a picture of myself Mm -hmm. in it. And then I can go post uh, that picture in this group and tell everyone about this accomplishment that I had. And I'm going to get like 30 comments from all these <laughs> yeah. women being like, you're amazing, yeah. you know, because feels that's good. what happens in yeah. there, right? Yeah. And it not only feels good, but it's also like this collective bond of like women celebrating yeah. each other's accomplishments, yeah. which is just like pretty incredible.
0: It's amazing. I also was thinking as you're speaking, it's like, you know, how a lot of people I find I, I am bristling a lot at lot of, a lot of the marketing and sort of the like, The pandering, I guess, that you sort of get a lot of times with, I think, a lot of direct-to-consumer brands and startups and online companies where you feel kind of like they're like, we have, like, the trans person and the person of color. Like, they're just, like, kind of picking, like, all of these different things to make some sort of, like value seem like that's what their values are but this type of thing is like how you are able to be truly transparent and truly welcoming and truly inclusive and truly like like a support for for women and for people that are interested in wearing your clothing that is so genuine and authentic. And I think that that's what's missing in so many companies where you're just like, don't just like show me a picture of a bunch of different mo- like looking models and set in and assume that I'm going to buy into this kind of like inclusivity or do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel yeah, like no, a lot I'm of totally times, right. like I'm like kind of feeling. angry by it's people's wandering. marketing. And I'm just like, I know what you're trying to do here. And I see it. And like, I think we all business owner, a lot of business owners like fall into that can fall into that trap. Because I mean, a lot of us have the best of intentions, but it just sometimes comes across as just so like, so fake and i think that it's so important to find ways to genuinely show people your values by living them in a way that you don't have to like go out and say like look at our new campaign look at how like diverse we are or how inclusive we are or whatever like we are who we are everyone knows it like we just kind of live our lives and people are welcome within this community.
1: Yeah. I think that it's also a, when you're building a community that it's not a one way street, the communication really, you're, it's mm-hmm. so important that it's not mm-hmm. just brand down to the consumer. Yeah. The, and I hate that word, but like consumer, customer, whatever, I know. you have to really establish connection between your customers. Yeah. Right. Cause that's like what true community is and where there's like, there's talking in multiple directions. Mm-hmm. And I also think that what brands lose sight of is that, and they, and, some, and it's like you see brands that do this, they highlight their customers and they will interview them and put them on a blog or whatever, which I think that in some ways that's great, but oftentimes kind of come across feeling a little hollow and empty mm-hmm. And what's been really cool with the Facebook group is that it allows women to to share and create their own story in relationship to brass on their oh, own right? time, in whatever way that they want to. Some yeah. women love to share style posts. Some women want to come in there and just be really helpful with sizing. Some women want to come in there and they're super active on the buy-sell trade thread. Some women mm-hmm. come in there and they're wanting to share their, their packing list so it just is in that way it really is this platform for them to define how it is that they're telling their story in relationship to the brand and it has nothing to do with us and that's that's why it's like truly authentic not we're gonna go and we i mean we used to do some of this stuff with our real models we would have our customers come and model all the clothes and I think that that was it was really effective but you see now more and more is like oh we're gonna go and you know hire 10 models all shapes all sizes Mm -hmm. kind of to your point yeah and make it feel like it's this really authentic thing when in actuality these are all models they all got paid not that like women shouldn't get paid to be models (laughs) yeah I know what you mean yeah (laughs) so and I also think that it's just yeah you have to you have to be careful about, like, what avenues and, and how it is that you're presenting that, yeah. those images. But how
0: did yeah, how did this – yeah, I mean, I mean, I've been thinking so much about it just as, like, 40 Winks grows and, like, the way we're – how we're presenting ourselves and, like, you know, trying to dial back into our values or even feel like our values haven't changed. But, like, they've, like – they're definitely, like, stronger in some ways, deeper – sort of values and i think we all as business owners have to kind of consistently evaluate what our values are and where they're taking us and how and to be willing to have conversations with our customer about what they like about it and what they don't and i love the fact that like this group has taken it kind of the reins from brass as the like company and just put it into the like the uh, the connections being between the customers and it's it's just really genuine and it's I think very appreciated if if I'm speaking as like a customer I think it's very appreciated yeah. so so cool. you I mean this is like facebook is online what about this great community were you able to sort of like translate into real life when you opened the brick and mortar component of brass
1: yeah well i think that we so when we had our pop-up in the seaport and it was only 140 square feet we had a lot of obstacles there in terms of doing anything that was really community oriented. So for the most part, what we were doing was we were really focused on the experience and it was kind of a guide shop model. So women could come in and try things on and then um, have the items shipped to them. Um, you couldn't really walk out with inventory. Um, and and in that way we were really focused a little more on kind of the one-on-one experience that women were having in that space mm-hmm. and we do offer appointments but it was it was making sure women really got to know and understand the brand and a little bit more from a from a product perspective, but then also making sure that their interaction with whoever was working within the store was it was just really hospitable, mm-hmm. really warm, really friendly, relaxed, understanding. Um, those were all kind of things that we were really focused on. Um, and then, We also have our, our office space that's in um, South Boston and that's a much larger space. So we have been able over the years to host events and do things that were a little bit more community focused. And so we always kind of knew that when we, the ultimate dream of having our own retail shop, that, that the actual space would be able to be utilized a bit more for gatherings. Mm -hmm. So when we open the shop on uh, Charles Street, still not huge. It's you know 400 square feet, about. But we do these monthly capsule nights when we bring in new product, so women can come and try everything on in person. Mm. We also do like pop ups within the shop, and we try to be really focused around clienteling. And I will say. Liza, our store manager Mm -hmm. who also worked with us at the pop-up in the seaport has been a huge part of the success of that space and in making women really feel like they have a relationship um, to the brand and to the shop and to coming in there. So that's been, that we've really still carried through. It's like, how do you feel? How do the people who work in our store make you feel? Yeah.
0: Well, and I was going to say like, not everything about loving to shop brick and mortar is about community either. Like when you were saying like that you had these one-on-one appointments where you really like walked someone through the brand and like what looked good on them and like really helped them form this capsule collection. I was like, ooh, that's like my dream shopping experience. So like that, you know what I mean? It doesn't just community isn't the only great thing about like having a brick and mortar space. Like it can be so nice to just have like what Liza's done and just like forming these relationships and like building that trust between the client and the brand and the people working for the brand. I mean, we have so many customers that would never step foot in our space If while we're having an event or a party, because it's just too overwhelming, or they need more intimate help. And that isn't just because it's lingerie, it's because some people don't like to shop with a lot of people around. So I really do think it's so important to kind of offer both. Totally. That intimacy and that really, like, that time spent with a client is so important in addition to the the creation of a strong community around the brand.
1: Yeah, I think always we've always tried to think about what it is that we can provide to the customer of value beyond just clothing. Yeah. So, kind of to your point, sometimes it might be that you get to come to an event and you get to meet, you know, meet a new friend. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's awesome. And sometimes it might be that you get to come in and you get to learn how to style this pair of pants more ways than you could have imagined. (laughs) Right. Um, right. And sometimes you just swing by the shop and get to say hi to Liza and hang out with her for a few minutes and just like connect. And that also like brings you value. So and that's just always been something that we have tried to think very intentionally about is how and in what ways, and it doesn't matter the platform, doesn't matter if it's online or if it's in person or if it's on your website or it's through customer service or it's through our Facebook group or it's in our store. We're always trying to provide our women with something of value beyond just the item that they've purchased. Yeah. yeah. And that can take lots of different forms. But I think that that is definitely, you know, commonality that we've tried to establish.
0: Yeah, I think that's so true. So this is sort of a more of a nitty gritty question, but what do you find is, are the main differences between how your online shopper is shopping and a brick and mortar shopper is shopping? I think there's, pretty they're pretty different usually right yeah
1: i mean it's still obviously it's it's difficult because of attribution to 100 percent know when a customer is coming to us like totally organic totally word of mouth because honestly like online to our store Mm -hmm. because honestly for most women they're probably getting Some amount of maybe their friend mentioned brass, Mm -hmm. but then they've also that, but then they end up getting served a social an ad on social, most likely on Instagram. Maybe they see an influencer that's worn us, or they've read about us somewhere. You know, it's hard to know exactly um, Mm -hmm. even the average like customer might not know exactly how or in what way she's heard about a brand. So true. But when, you know, our average online customer is coming in and she's usually buying one or two items in her first order. Obviously our average order value is larger in person because you just Mm -hmm. get to have an entirely different experience of the product than you do through our website. Mm -hmm. That is one thing that we have heard quite often in person because then we will also get women who come to us in person and say, you know, I've been following for you guys for a year and I haven't bought anything because I needed to see it in person. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, Oh my God, why did it take you so long? <laughs> I didn't know. But, um, yeah. you're like, great. Well, that, that Facebook ad we were running a year ago clearly worked. <laughs> uh,
0: money well took spent. Took her a while to get it.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, we do hear in person as women will say, Oh wow. Like the fabrics are like the quality is so much better than I thought it was. And sometimes we're like, uh, I mean, ultimately I think that that's a reflection of like e-commerce is really hard.
0: That's the thing. (laughs) Making sure that
1: you're getting like the best photography possible and that you are capturing the garment and like, you know, the like the best lighting and from the best angles and all that. It's just really hard for fabric Mm -hmm. to come across to people. Yeah, it is. But I would say that is like a kind of something that we hear. And then also, you know, women just struggle with fit, uh, Mm -hmm. trying as much as we try to make ourselves and our customer service team available to answer any and all sizing and fit questions. And also through the guild, which has helped with sizing, we just find that women, obviously, are, our return rate in person is mu- is virtually non-existent yeah. comparatively to online. So there, those are some, I would say two of the key elements of shop differences in shopping online and shopping with us in person. And I think that those are pretty standard across the board for most yeah. most apparel, D to C apparel brands.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about like our returns which we don't do anywhere near the volume, anywhere near the volume you do in terms of, of online sales. Like our online store is very small, but it is where we get almost all of our returns (laughs) is people buying stuff online and then bringing it back and then, or sending it back. And then like, we don't get, I mean, it, it is like, it can be kind of frustrating and it's like such, it's hard to like bank on any kind of money. That's like coming in, you know, going in and out like that.
1: Totally. I think, I mean, obviously because we were established online, we always knew that that was going to be a bit like a part of our business model. Yeah, And I would say that they're in the transition from an online brand to retail, which is always ongoing. They're like, Oh, retail is dead. And Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Why would anybody want to do that? I would say in general, just all customers are wanting to have, the ability to have like an omni-channel experience of all brands, if and when possible. Mm -hmm. So, but, and you see this even like Everlane, right? They're like, we're never going into brick and mortar. Well, guess what? They did. Now they have six doors. Yeah. 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 Because people still like to buy, I mean, 90% of clothing is still purchased in person. Yeah. So, but I think that would be... I would say to anybody who's thinking who has like a boutique and has an in-person retail store and is thinking about wanting to do more e-commerce that you really should be expecting anywhere, honestly, from like a 20 to 50% return rate, depending on what it is that you're selling, at least just to like pad your numbers from the beginning so that you can understand because unfortunately no matter how good your product is oftentimes people like to just buy and try
0: on it at home and they want to send it yeah. back you yeah. know they are they are buying with every intention of sending some of it back right and i've been
1: guilty of it i'm sure you oh, have yeah. too like yeah. and so if you are thinking of going that direction from your in person store to trying to do stuff online that that is something yeah that was a benefit in going the other direction for us. It was like, great, decrease return rates. <laughs> <laughs> totally.
0: And you uh, also like have to yeah. kind of build it into your your business plan or what you're focusing on is like yeah. how to totally. reduce r- your rate of return, right? It's something that like me who doesn't totally. do that much e-commerce isn't like thinking about it that much, right? It's like if I started to suddenly boom online, it would suddenly have to be something that I was putting into my at least weekly, sort of like, how do we get this better? Like, it's like definitely something that yeah. I don't think people that have brick and mortars that aren't selling, uh, aren't doing a huge e-commerce business. Like, it's not something that we like think about that often.
1: No, totally. And it's absolutely like, it, you know, you kind of have to divorce yourself from tra- from like feeling bad about it or anything really sure. because- it, it, it's just it's a part of doing business that I know that even like when ASOS went public people were astounded by what their return rate is I think it might be something around 50 percent mm. and it's because they have such an amazing return policy right yeah and people love shopping from ASOS because it's like as soon as the package gets scanned their money goes back in their bank account yeah so And, but, but that is, that's, that is a part of their business model. And that is why people like shopping with them. So as long as your business model can sustain, whatever return rate it is that you anticipate, Anticipate. you know, that is, yeah, like that can be a part of your business model. Yeah. That is not something we're trying to do in (laughs) fast. It's very wasteful behavior. Yeah. And for all... It's, it is, it's a huge aspect of running an online business that you have to take into consideration and you have to be thinking about, especially if your return window is 30 days, if you have like a really, really big month, um, and your sales have outpaced what you were expecting to do in the next month, you're down a bit, you know, your return rate as a percentage of refunds is going to be higher than usual, you know, because it's 30 days that people have to spend. Right. Sends to back. So it really becomes part of your cash flow analysis and how you're actually running a business. Mm-hmm. So, yes, much different than if you're used to people buying things in store and walking out the door and not coming back, which is wonderful. <laughs> which is great. Yeah. I oh. that bra. Wear it. Don't Wear bring it. it back to me.
0: Cut the tags off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what would you say? We've touched on a few aspects, I'm sure, but what would you say is the hardest thing that you and Katie and your team experienced when you went, like, I know you'd had pop-ups, but when you actually got your brick and mortar that you're like more long-term in, what was like the hardest transition for you?
1: I think initially, well, because we had it, our previous store didn't have inventory. So uh, inventory, yeah. I think mm. would be the number one thing. And we sort of didn't anticipate you' you don't, it's like when you're starting anything, mm-hmm. you put together a model. You're like, I think this, okay, I think this is what our foot traffic is going to be. And I think this is what our conversion is going to be. And I, you got to, you're, you're putting numbers down on paper to give yourself a sense of, what may or may not happen or what your goals are. And that might not match up to what may or may not happen. So, you know, for the first couple of weeks, you're just kind of like following like, okay, are we, are we meeting the numbers we projected? And, um, honestly, we were, we would be stocked out of stuff more frequently than anything. Um, and I think that was, that was just a little bit of a learning curve was figuring out how to most effectively, stock inventory for the store and also figuring out, uh, as Liza says, like what our women in Beacon Hill want to be buying from us. Yeah. So even though, you know, we have our website, when you come to our store, there is, it's merchandised in a specific way yeah. for that neighborhood, for the women that we know to be there, like living within that area and shopping mm-hmm. with us mm-hmm. also based on sizes and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So which is a bit different than our our website which is where you can find all of our stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean I don't feel like you have really a choice when you're doing a like a brick and mortar if you're if your customers are asking for something different or if they're all like needing sizes that you aren't continuously stocking and you're stocking all these other sizes. It's like you like you have to kind of come inside the spaceship as my mom says and like you, give the people what they want and but it is difficult for the entire duration of a brick and mortar business to give people who seem to be very inconsistent actually it's like you can like run the numbers you can do the data you can do this stuff but i sometimes am like oh my god like i knew that this is what these people like this month was going to look like and it looked totally different it's like yeah. it's it can be such a challenge for any brick and mortar i think to know exactly like where the trend is gonna it could just be like that there was like a subway ad or something you know what i mean that like I didn't know about, or, you know, that was like talking about something and it's like, you don't know what is going to like come your way in terms of inventory. So you just like do the best you can. And it's like, I think it's a challenge for us all.
1: Yeah, totally. And you can have, you can, one thing that sells like really well online Yeah, may not be what sells really well in person. Yeah. And you're like, what the hell? (laughs) Also. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, just the, Joys of unpredictability. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> In the wonderful world of retail. Yeah,
0: I know. But and it keeps you on your
1: toes and, you true. know, keeps you, you gotta, you know, gotta keep your eyes open. And to your point, you know, keep talking to your customer, try and understand her better, what she wants, mm-hmm. what
0: she's looking for. Yeah. So you and Katie have been business partners for a while. Any tips for an open and successful partnership or just staying friends along the way?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're lucky. Katie and I have been friends since we were 14 years old. I thought it was like a long friendship. I thought, yeah. Yeah, 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 very long. So I think that that really made our partnership very unique. It also made it so that even when we were having difficult times, we had a bit more of a Mm -hmm. stick-to-itiveness to our relationship than I think like if we had met five years ago through a business networking event, you know? And I think that so I the, the only the only business partnership I know is the one that I've had yeah and so I can't speak for other people but I do know that for us trying to maintain open and honest communication yeah. even when it's really uncomfortable
0: yeah
1: is absolutely necessary to uh, success within a partnership and yeah that's not it's not always easy no. but if you guys are both willing to make that commitment to one another and to and to your partnership to say, hey, you know what? Yeah. We're we're gonna do our best to show up and try to be as truthful and honest as possible. That's at least a really great
0: foundation that you can build on. Agreed. I agree. I think it's like about communication and also just mutual respect for the other person. You don't have to agree with everything that they're doing. You don't have to agree with the way they're they've handled the situation, but like at the end of the day, that's your person when it comes to your business. And I always think about like, where, like, how would I feel like without this person? You know what I mean? Mm. It's sort of like, I, I think like, I just almost like, they say like business, like isn't like emotional, but like friendship in a business partnership is, very important too. like, obviously, I, I don't think like it. I don't think friendship is even real just in like when you're not in business together, or if you aren't able to like level with each other and to go deep and have hard conversations about things and love each other through the whole process. Like, I think it is important to I could never open a business with just any of my friends, but I'm really glad that I was able to open a business with a friend, if that makes any sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. And I think that what I just had so much gratitude and so much appreciation for yeah. the experience of like this relationship in yeah. my life. Um, oh, yeah, because it's so unique and special. Mm-hmm. It's not just a friendship. And it's not like, like, it's, it's so true. It's like she's my sister, and she's my friend, and she's my yeah. business partner, and she's my work wife, and like mm-hmm. these experiences that she and I have had together—extreme, extreme highs and extreme lows—and yeah. like yeah. it's this, it's a marriage in a lot of ways. And um,
0: yeah.
1: how cool and special to be able to do that with somebody else, and get to go through the experience of of getting to know and understand yourself as as a person, as a business person but to be able to do that with somebody else that you really care about. It's like I have yeah, I have a ton of gratitude for that for having had that experience in my life.
0: Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, you're so right. It is like it everything you just said, I was just like yes. Like it is so so I feel so lucky and so grateful to have had the depth of a relationship with another person that you would that so many people like don't necessarily have it's like yeah, a total perk of the job <laughs>
1: mhm total totally
0: <laughs> so how do you we talked a little bit about this before we started like actually recording but how do you um sort of practice self-care if that's an, even a concept that we can wrap our heads around. But as you grow and as you iterate and as you change as a person and as the business changes as a person, how do you sort of like maintain that the sense of self that is required to really like be a good leader in whatever area of the business that you're in. Um, how do you take care? How do you take care of that? How do you like feed yourself? If that makes this questions a little convoluted, but I think you probably know what I mean. How do you take care of yourself?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's something that uh, to be honest with you, I've struggled a lot with in, with the business because it does, you know, it's very easy for when you care so much about something it's very easy for it to just seep into every area of your life, you know. Yeah. I think, and especially as as something grows and gets bigger, and you hire people, and yeah. they become a part of your your vision, and their and their life is entwined with your life and this thing that you're building. And there's like a lot of really really positive and intense energy that goes into that yeah. and I think that that's that can be really hard depending on your personality yeah. but for me that that definitely is something that I've that is has been difficult for me and I think that having some boundaries trying to establish some boundaries if you can <laughs> that that is truly a form of self-care yeah Whether that's like whether that's shutting your phone off or Mm. not responding to emails on the weekends or taking time to be with your loved one more or whatever it may be, and to be honest with you, it's not something that I've been very successful at doing. But I kind of realize the importance of it, and I would say that the more the more that you can do that, the better.
0: Yeah. I mean, honestly, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's like I'm like hearing you like sort of like struggle for an answer to the self care question because it is for me the, you know, I used to say like self care for me is like working. Like, what the hell? Like, Working is not (laughs) self-care. You know what I mean? Like working and finding a new project and working on this podcast or a side project, whatever people might have in addition to their actual job. Like that is not necessarily, that's not self-care. I mean, it, it can take that form for a while, but eventually like it becomes often becomes something that you try to monetize or something that you're like, you're beholden to a community over or whatever. And it becomes like another form of work. And like, I have struggled so hard to establish something that really like puts my rest and my like rejuvenation and my headspace at the forefront. Like I, also have been pretty unsuccessful with toning down my like involvement in trying to be involved in everything and always like got one ear to like what's going on on the floor or one always checking my email and responding and things it's just been very difficult for me to do that as well so I can really relate to the struggle to like establish something as a habit, something that actually feels good too. Like I haven't really found like, you know, it's not a bath. It's not like, uh, like burning some incense and journaling. Like I struggle with those things. Like I feel like it's very hard for me to settle my brain, but I like you see the, see the value in it. (laughs) That's half the battle. Or maybe it's like a quarter of the Mm -hmm. battle, but (laughs)
1: awareness is the first step that's the first step
0: (laughs) yeah but I think it's good to to talk about like I think it's also good to talk to people who don't have like it all figured out in terms of like what makes them feel relaxed because it isn't for me very easy (laughs) no and it's quite difficult when you are kind of
1: programmed into feeling like the only way to or what you what you define as success is always related to doing something or, right, exactly. or creating something yeah. and so honestly, I, like I've been trying to deprogram myself into just kind of being right yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like not doing anything and not yeah. feeling like oh I got if I'm gonna do self-care I better do it right, right. <laughs> like. I didn't meditate and I didn't do this and right. I didn't journal and I didn't, you know, and it's like, oh, whatever. Just okay. like yeah. have, <laughs> sit, you know, just sit, just sit, have a glass yeah. of water. Yeah. Just chill. Just be you, whatever that might be or explore the idea of whatever being you is not in relationship to a business or to anything that you are creating and putting out in the world. I do think that that
0: is important to think about as a, as yes. a business owner. It's yes, it's very hard to get very like your whole identity is the business. And it's not, that's not the reality. The reality no. is that you have your own, your own little thing going on, and it has nothing to do with the entity of your business. Yeah. So we're kind of wrapping up. Two questions. I the first question that I ask everyone. I'm going to kind of switch it up for you. But what would you say to someone who is thinking of taking a online store or a bigger, you know, direct to consumer e commerce platform into the brick and mortar space?
1: I mean, you got to do it. You just like everybody talks about how retail's dead. I know I talk. right yeah. Know, absolutely not true no and and the value that you get from from the retail experience I think as a direct to consumer brand it's just you're gonna you'll find out new things about your product and about your customer that you never would have found out online mm-hmm. you'll find out how people engage with and react to your product that you would never find out online and now you know you see this with all all of the brands that are having success in this space they're not you're not able to sustain the type of growth that you could before as a D2C brand yeah. even 5 years ago because Facebook and Instagram ads aren't cheap anymore
0: right right and
1: so you have to be i mean those brands whether it's Bonobos, Everlane i mean there was just a lot of like a lot of Facebook ad arbitrage, like great, yeah. just buying things really, really cheap, and that's not an option anymore. So mm-hmm. you have to be really strategic um, in how you are getting in front of customers, and if that means that you're able to secure an amazing relationship with Nordstrom, it's like do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if you can, the more it's it's really about penetrating the market, and the more places you can be, the yeah. better. And one time, actually, I spoke with this woman. I thought, so I just like this is a really interesting little tidbit and insight. But she was saying she has a lingerie brand, actually. And um, she actually went wholesale first. Mm-hmm. And her bras and underwear sold on Anthropology. And she also had her own website, but she wasn't putting a lot of money in, towards it because what she would see was that on Anthro, like when a bra would sell out in a size there, people would immediately come to her website and buy that bra mm-hmm.
0: in the size that it was sold
1: out in mm-hmm. because that's how people, I mean, that's how shoppers yeah. are. Like I do that. I, I go to yeah. anthropology of brand discovery. I yeah. go, yeah. you know, and then you end up at the actual brand's website. So you can be very smart and strategic yeah. in the way that you're going to establish your brand, and own your customer. And that doesn't mean shutting out wholesale or shutting out retail. Um, So yeah, I I say do it uh, when it comes to retail and just, especially if you're smaller and you don't have that much money, be strategic, do um, pop-ups, find, find spaces where the lease is distressed or people need to get out of the lease. Um, Find yourself a deal, you know, and then, So that you don't have to be so, you don't need to go and and be fancy about the way in which you're setting up your, your shop. You can do a lot
0: with five, 10 grand. Yeah. You can. So I love it. Yeah. What about any words of encouragement for all of your fellow brick and or business owners, both brick and mortar and online? (laughs) (laughs)
1: well i mean i think that with brick and mortar what we've just found is the things that we and again it's like things that we love most are just our customer stories and yeah and that that goes for online too it's like the more that we engage with the women who are wearing brass every day and really using the product and really seeing a benefit from it it just that's what keeps you going even you're kind of like feeling like, uh, like I don't know if I really feel like I want to engage this person or whatever. Like, talk to them. You yeah. know, like find yeah. a way to connect. You will always feel better after it. You will always learn something that you didn't know before. Yeah, these are our little these are our little homes. These are our little shop homes, and when people yeah. come into them. Make them feel special. We always feel special when, when we do that. So yeah. we always feel good when we can do that
0: for somebody. Yeah, I agree. I had We had this day today where it seemed like every customer was just like a little... Like they had something on their minds or like it was there was just some like weird energy Uh the store today. And I just spent like a lot of the time being like, I am going to get through to this person. I am going to take some extra time (laughs) with this person and they will they will respond to me at the end. They I like no willed choice. it into happening but yeah. it was kind of a funky day and I think we all like I think it's just like good and a good reminder to be like even the customers that you might just be like I uh, I can't deal with it right now or whatever like whatever is energy is going on between you or on the floor with a customer like it is always worth it to kind of dig a little deeper and to try to make that connection it's so important totally Yeah. Well, Jay, thank you so much. It was so nice to catch up with you. So nice chatting. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed our chat and I wish you and Katie and Brass, the whole company. I love it. So great. Wish you guys all the luck. So thank you for speaking with us.
1: Of course, Rachel. Thank you so much for having
0: me. So that's the show, everyone. A huge thank you to Jay for sharing her story with us. And of course, to you all for listening and for being a part of this community. I will say that if you want to reach out and vent or encourage or just get everything out, please do. You can reach out to me via email or DM. I am here. I will say also that I don't feel like I have as much time I think it's just because I like can't anyth- get anything done because I'm working from home and I have Sylvie around me all the time. But if you write to me, I will eventually respond. I promise. I am so hopeful for our spaces and our shops. And I truly believe that we will rise together stronger than where we were when we went into this whole mess. Thank you again for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful day.